Hello everyone, this is Tom Fox. Megan has been on me to take a look at some other sci-fi series. So she has prevailed and we will take up the 11 episodes, I think, of Firefly. It's a little bit different than uh, anything we've done before. Certainly not MCU, Star Trek, Star Wars, or any of those classic science fiction shows. But we're going to give it a shot. It is uh, Western in Space. So I'm really excited to do this series with her. So we conclude our series on Firefly with Serenity the Movie. Our story finds the crew of the Serenity together without Simon Book and, of course, Inara. Mal decides they are going to rob a bank, which has a large payroll, but during the bank robbery, River senses the Reavers are about to attack the town and the crew escapes. Simon and River decide they are going to leave at the next stop, but when they are put off the ship and River receives a subliminal message that causes her to attack everyone. The crew then contacts the reclusive hacker Mr. Universe who discovers the message was designed to trigger some mental conditioning in River and she had whispered Miranda before she went uh, ballistic. Mal then receives an invitation from Inara Figuring out it's a trap, he goes and confronts the operative who is chasing them. The crew goes to the planet Haven and visits with Simon Book, and they return to the planet to find it devastated, having been attacked by the operative who promises to kill anyone that assists the crew of the Serenity. The crew then goes to the planet Miranda and determines that it was the Alliance who created the Reavers, and it was the Alliance who killed all of the people on the planet. The crew then goes back through the Reavers' uh, field and in a stunning battle goes to Mr. Universe, who has been killed by the operative, and broadcasts the message. The final scene shows the operative telling Mal, that the Alliance doesn't much care about Simon and River anymore, but that they will be watching as the operative fades off. Anar decides to stay with the crew, and River becomes the new pilot of the Serenity. Megan, I thought this movie was a fitting end to the series, and that was probably my biggest takeaway. Maybe we could start with your 30,000-foot takeaways. Oh, gosh. I love the movie. And interestingly, when I was first getting to know Firefly and the cast of characters, I actually I saw the movie before I saw any of the TV shows. It's because it happened to come out, and I think a friend of mine rented a copy. I was living with sci-fi friends and they said, you've got to watch this movie. I didn't even know there was a series associated with it before I saw it the first time. After I saw it, I went back and watched everything and watched the movie again, of course. But that was my introduction to it. And I think it really works, as we were talking about a little bit before we turned on, it's a standalone movie that works best if you also understand the series that came before it. 
I'm going to have to stop you there because you said a term that some of our listeners may not be familiar with, and it was, quote, renting a copy of it, end quote. Oh. <laughs> and you explain what it meant, what it meant to rent a copy of something. I can go even beyond that because where I was living at the time in Montreal, one of my friends actually worked at a for real video store where they had copies of mostly DVDs at that point, but also some VHS where you could go in, pay a small amount of money, take a movie home for a few days, and then return it. <laughs> Used to be huge. <laughs> if you ever hear the term blockbuster, that's what Megan's talking about. Okay, now that we've gone over ancient history. <laughs> and just, I didn't, I never would have thought of you as retro, but I have opened up a whole new vista for me now. Yeah, uh, yeah, the 90s were 30, 30 years ago now. Yeah. I thought not only was this the perfect end of a movie, but it, first of all, the tone was so dark. You really got a sense of the characters, their inner turmoil. That was big picture, point one. Number two was we got, the backstory we needed. Yeah. We got the backstory on River. We got the backstory on Preacher or on Bach. We got the backstory on Mal that was teased out a little bit more. Not directly the backstory on Walsh, but the backstory on his wife and mm -hmm. her relationship with Mal in the military and how that clicked in later in the movie. So, I felt I got the answers to most of the questions I had, and then it moved forward to answer questions not about the characters, but about the world or worlds they lived in and how those worlds had been formed, both the physical terraforming, but also how they'd been formed societally by the Alliance and how the Alliance had tried to manipulate humanity and the catastrophic consequences of that. And that's was much to my surprise, and maybe it shouldn't have been, but I thought of Mal as Rick Blaine in Casablanca. He had no <laughs> idea why he was slinging gin at a bar, mm -hmm. and then it becomes all clear that mm -hmm. he, it's so painful for him to think about what it was before, and for him it was Ilsa. Well, for Mal, it was a way of life, mm -hmm. and he saw the alliance for what it was, manipulators of humanity that wanted to control everything. And he saw that clearer than probably most. And that's when confronted with that's when he really took a stand to care for something and care about something. So those themes just, I thought, made this a really compelling movie. Any of the themes, did any of those resonate or did others resonate for you? Definitely the 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 theme of trying to create a world or a population without sin and the atrocities that can happen and be committed by otherwise good people because of that. There's so many historical precedents for that. I think some of the worst crimes that have been committed in human history were on the basis of trying to create a world without sin or ridding people or areas of sin in a variety of different faiths. And uh, that they took that into space, I thought was a re really good choice. And it really hit me the, they're playing so much with the two sides of belief belief without understanding like the operative is cruel and destructive but belief in something that you do understand and feel strongly about like mal ultimately saves the day so i really like the way they address those themes and of course also the idea of family and chosen family and creating that where you are that's something producer joss whedon has always done really well despite his other flaws that's a kind of 
a web of relationships between people that he's always been able to create really well. And even the creation of the Reavers. Oh, um, yeah. It's, I'm a huge classic monster movie fan. The mm -hmm. Mad Scientist is a well-known trope. Mm -hmm. Here we had a mad society creating its own monsters in the Reavers. And how they were created was an outflow of this or an unintended consequence. Even that was really well explained. Early on in the movie, I felt Mal, there was some change in Mal, and he was much mm -hmm. darker. He was much less, I don't want to say caring, because I don't want to suggest he cared that much before, but he seemed much more cynical, and I really liked it when Kaylee basically said, you ran Anara off, why did she leave? I thought that was as hard a slap in the face as I've seen through the whole series and the movie. I think that's exactly it. I think that's part of what made him harder. Like you get the sense that a good deal of time has passed since the last right. episode we saw in the movie. Like things have happened. Sorry, we didn't get those seasons. Thank you, Fox Productions. But uh, yeah, I think it was, I think he drove her away. She also did have agency to leave. She was thinking about it. She was planning it before. I think that, and probably also she the shepherd leaving. I thought that may probably made him a little bit harder. And I think there was, I felt like there was some implication that also, finding work had gotten more difficult. Maybe the Alliance was doing more patrols. The Reavers were becoming more prevalent. I think everything was getting harder. And that made him feel he needed to be harder as well. Let's talk about Bach. Oh, Shepard book. book? Shepard book. I thought we got fully explained, to me at least, his backstory. Okay, and what's your take on that? Because I still feel like I've got questions. I think he was an operative. And that's why he knew what was coming. And that's huh. why he said, it's not belief in God, it's belief. Because the operative, he only believed in the job, yeah, the mission. And he didn't believe in the underlying theology or the underlying racial or societal theory yeah. or the alliances, the good guys, or no sin. He was just there to execute. That's all he believed in. I'm not sure you can call that a belief. You're just blindly following orders. He did say several times, though, he wanted to create a world without sin. Uh, he, he believed it without, I think, understanding what that meant practically. Other than himself, his willingness to kill children or murder whole families. But that's a so, great point about Book. I think you're totally right. I think Book must have done exactly those things. And then needed something else to believe in. When I guess he probably had an experience similar to the operative. Oh, I'm going to chew on that one. Thank you for that. Because we never saw a book in a physical confrontation where he physically confronted someone with his hands. The closest was Heart of Gold, where he organized a defense with the water can. He had a little scuffle in one other episode, I think, but it was minor and unwitnessed by any of the crew. Okay. But I thought he was very prescient. He said, This is what they've done. And this is what they're going to do. Actually, with the operative, I felt like he had some type of code because he didn't kill the scientist's female assistant. Mm -hmm. And I thought, at first I thought his code prevents him from killing women. And then I thought maybe he needed something from her. And that's why he, <laughs> he, let he needed someone to do all that file work. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and he needed someone to find those embed codes they had to activate 
the sleepers, which made me wonder, are there, were there others out there or was that code unique to her? And if he knew to do that, surely the scientists knew to do that, but they chose not to. So I really wondered about that because that's how they found them because they activated her and in the ensuing carnage, they were able to track from there. It wasn't until she got activated that the operative and his team really got on her tra- on their trail as well. Have you seen Oppenheimer yet? Not yet. Not yet. Okay. So one of the, this is, there's no spoilers in this, but one of the things they discuss is the, I guess, fairly common phenomenon of a scientist just believing in the science and being so captivated by the problem and the issue and finding a solution that they don't necessarily think anyone, they can't imagine themselves doing anything terrible with it. It's just the pursuit of knowledge. Maybe this scientist was kind of like that too, so siloed in the possibility of what was going on, being blinded to how it might be used externally. That fight scene was just stunning. And I want to bookend it, though, with the fight scene at the end with River and the Reavers. And I realized the greatest fight scenes I've ever seen, obviously they're choreographed, but they're dances. Always. And when you can put a dancer in a fight scene, there's one Baryshnikov movie where he does a fight scene. And it's just obviously him dancing. But the two, the, the first fight scene where she gets activated and then the last one, I just thought they were absolutely brilliant. And oh, you could watch them for an hour, right? Like I would, I'd watch, yeah, was, I'd go to a recital and <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And that's the actress's ability to dance. Mm-hmm. She, we've seen that in other episodes as well. So anyway, the operative is on their tail. It was interesting that Mal knew immediately when Anara contacted him that she was in trouble and she was sending Love him a coded scene. message. So I thought that was cool. <laughs> I and thought that was it, fun too. And then when it was actually her ingenuity that allowed them to get away because she temporarily immobilized the operative, which allowed her and Mal to get away when they were getting their asses to work. Yeah, I liked all of the the kind of the, I guess, blinds and double blinds that happened throughout the, the movie, both in like how it was produced and things people did. So there was the the very opening when it's three stories within stories for mm-hmm. getting us to where we are in the present and the operative being with the scientist. So you know, first it's, yeah, just the... What are you seeing is actually real? When is the story actually going to start? I, I thought that was really fun. And then just the layers of things not being what they seem, all of the different escaped attempts, the fooling people, like when Mel had the pulse beacon and then sent out different tracking satellites. And I just really liked all the cleverness that, that was in the production and the plot. We hear some rumblings, not rumblings, some comments on the crew. And I think it was Kaylee that has, talks about the myth of the Reavers and they went to the edge of space and they saw the blackness and they were mm. mad. Turned out that they, that was pretty close to the truth. Darn close. But they get to the planet Miranda, what she calls Miranda. And you want to describe what happens when they got there? Oh, so they get in and they discover a technologically very advanced world that's completely empty and filled with the corpses of people who had apparently just laid down and stopped breathing, which is really shakes everyone quite badly. River has a little bit of a freak out. She's hearing the voices that are saying nothing of the people who had died in this way. And they follow the beacon that they had picked up and they see Sarah Paulson, Sarah Paulson, sending a message explaining what has happened that has obviously never left the planet. And they explain that the Alliance government had was trying to make people calmer and more docile and easy to control by putting a certain chemical into the atmosphere worked in most, 
works for most people, but some had a massively aggressive response and became the Reavers that we know and fear today. And then she died hideously just off screen. And the team, the crew, are rightfully horrified by what has been committed in the name of progress and decide they're going to get the message out to everyone via Mr. Universe. What do you think of Mr. Universe? Before we get to Mr. Universe, okay. I ask you that to set up the following. Oh, I'm sorry. Please go ahead. <laughs> this is when Mal has his come to Jesus moment. Mm. This is when Mal turns. This is when Mal says, I will run no more. Uh, this is when Mal says, boys, we're going to the Alamo. And he says the following, and I'm just going to read from mm-hmm. one of the articles. Y'all got on this boat for different reasons, so you all come to the same place. So now I'm asking more of you than I have before. Maybe all. Because as sure as I know anything, I know this. They will try again. Maybe on another world, maybe on this very ground swept clean. A year from now, 10, they'll swing back to the belief that they can make people better. I do not hold to that, so no more running. I aim to misbehave. And that was, to me, one of the most powerful speeches I have heard, probably the most powerful in every episode, plus this movie. And this is where it took on really a incredibly righteous crusade. <laughs> and I would say... Whenever you start talking about last stands, that's near and dear to the heart of every Texan. So we completely get that. And that's in our DNA. And that, to me, was incredibly moving. And, of course, the crew went with him. And that took us, though, to Mr. Universe. And so tell us about, I guess we'd already seen Mr. Universe, but let's talk about Mr. Universe. Mr. Universe is, he hasn't hacked the planet. He's hacked the galaxy. <laughs> All of it. All of it. All of it. And and he has a an interesting lady friend, very AI, very cutting edge for 20 years ago. 20 years ago, we would have called her a robot. Today, we would just say, oh, that's his AI girl. And she, I'm sure it's, it's what he needs and probably what he wants while he's hacking the galaxy. So what were your thoughts on Mr. Universe? Oh, I, I loved him too. And I'm a sucker for the adorkable character in pretty much every instance. And he was that exactly. The tech savant, he's a believer too. He has his belief in the truth and in the importance of disseminating the truth. And I, I really like what that was saying. He's this all-seeing eye in the sky, but a really benevolent one who really believes in almost like an anarchy of information availability. And letting people make their own choices based on that, which is, I think, why he was such good friends with Mel and the crew, who are very much about the independent, make your own choice kind of way of going about things. I thought the love bot was adorable. And I love the scene of their wedding. They had a little wedding, crushed the club, the cup. It was adorable. And of course, he left the message and he ultimately provided the way for the message to get out. And I'm sorry he had to go the way he did, but I think he would have been happy that it worked. The uh, actually now that you say that I see a direct line from the guys that used to have blow up doll girlfriends to the bot to the robot to the bot to the AI girlfriend. So maybe there's an evolution there. They're not weirdos now. They're just geeks, and maybe it's cool. Very cutting edge. Very cutting edge. I also love the way he embedded the message to Mal with her. Yeah, motion um, activated. But what did you before we get to that message? We really should talk about the. Mal, we 
to get to planet Miranda, they have to go mm. through the Reavers space belt, which they do successfully because they've decorated the ship in a certain way to make it look like a Reaver ship. If I can you, put it that way. Even a step beyond, you know, this is Haven, which Shepard Book obviously had established or become a leading member of the community in after leaving Serenity. They'd all been destroyed by the operative and his goons. And they had to use the bodies of these people they knew. And right. and just what a horrifying thing to do. I think it was Kaylee again. She's always the heart of everything, right? But she's this is our home. These were our friends. This is an abomination. And yeah, Mel kind of what did he put his foot down there? This wasn't he wasn't at this point asking of them to help. He was saying, No, this is what I'm doing and you're gonna stay here or you're gonna help. I thought that was interesting. And just the another demonstration of the cruelty of the operative and the people he was working with to not only destroy Book and Haven, but all of the other people who had been their friends across the moons and the planets. Just what horror. Right. But how could you have designed or thought of anything that would make Malcolm Reynolds need to know why more than that? I don't think so. Probably not. Although I have to say in the alleged abomination, two thoughts. First of all, Kill them all and let God sort it out. Number one. <laughs> number two, the dead are dead. They can't be more dead. So let's use them as best we can if we're in the amongst the living. They can, the dead can get you out of a lot of scrapes. And that comes from the first Clint Eastwood movie, Fistful of Dollars. A little different twist there. But, I, th I think there's a lot of belief systems that what happens to your body after you pass matters a little bit. <laughs> so we, now we get to this incredible scene where they're going back out through the river space field. I think oh, some wait, of those... We missed... Did we? No, we didn't. Back out to the river space field. Oh, yeah. We're going back out. Yeah, back out. And back from I Miranda. Think, Got it. Yeah. So we're leaving Miranda. We're, the Serenity is trying to go to see Mr. Universe to communicate the message. And by now we know Mr. Universe is dead. The crew of Serenity doesn't know that yet. They and probably have a pretty decent idea. Probably. And the, which is why they took the step to attack one of the Reaver ships. So the entire Reaver fleet follows them out and comes upon the operative and his troops. I don't want to say chaos ensues because that does not begin to explain the combat, the horror, the terror. Alliance troops trying to kill themselves to avoid being captured, what the Reavers do to them. And apparently, at the end, we find out the Reavers lost. But that's that was, I thought, a brilliant ploy. And I had to watch the scene several times just to follow it. <laughs> and they get down to, but they get, the Serenity oh, gets hit with an electromolt. Go ahead. I wanted to touch on that a little bit more about, because this is, I think, a really interesting point of the operative's development. Because this is the, if I'm counting right, this is the third time that Mal or the Serenity crew had outfoxed him. So the first was when they were picking up Inara and he had the pulse beacon with him. So that threat of, we're going to blow Serenity out of space, we've locked on your pulse beacon, it's right here. Okay? Operative keeps his cool. Then there's a, the, maybe a more minor one of the flash bomb. Going off, he didn't expect right. that. They got away. Then they sent out those navigation satellites in seven different directions, so they didn't know, the operative didn't know which way to follow him. He, all, he kept his cool through all of this. He was plainly frustrated, but then when the reefers arrive, he loses it for the first time. And I you think know, that's when forgot. it becomes personal. Oh, I forgot one? You forgot one, which was a two-second scene where he says to the ship's captains, 
What do you mean by lost? Oh, yes. What do you mean by lost? <laughs> that was... <laughs> because that's when they flew through the Reavers space field and went to the planet Miranda. They at least didn't go into the Reavers space field. They had that much respect for the Reavers. But yeah, you're right. That's when it became incredibly personal with the operative. He evacuates in a personal escape pod. They meet on the surface. Mal is able to defeat him in hand-to-hand combat and broadcast the message out. The ship gets back. Then we Mal broadcasts the message. He does not kill the operative. He allows or forces the operative to watch the message. The operative is injured, and Mal binds him to a railing. And the Serenity goes back to Persephone for repairs, and the Mm -hmm. operative shows up there. What did you think of that scene? I thought that was interesting. I think now that you've mentioned that Shepard book was possibly an operative in a past life, I think we we got a little example of what that might have looked like when he had his... I won't call this a come to Jesus, maybe a return to earth moment. <laughs> when, you know, when someone basically becomes a person again, instead of an operative. I thought it was interesting. He said, you can, you're never going to see me again. There's nothing left to see. I thought that was really fascinating. I love that line because mm-hmm. for me, it worked on multiple levels. One, I thought he doesn't have a purpose to exist anymore. Yeah, he's got no reason. He believes he won't be seen. Number two, that he still has the skills he had as an operative. And he can disappear like the wind. And so Mal literally will never see him again because he will make sure he is somewhere hidden away. If he decides uh, both, to continue living. If he, he decides, that's a very good point. Yeah, because I think he said, he said himself at some point, I can't remember exactly when, but the world that he's working so hard to build, he has no expectation of seeing it. It's not made for people like him. People who do such, he needs aware of the unconscionable violence he creates. And I thought that's a really interesting element to a character like this. Yeah. So when he said that, I agree that he understood that he was not going to cross the river at Jordan and go to the promised land. But because he, exactly what you said, the second part of that for me was, if you live by the sword, you die by the sword. Mm-hmm. And if you want to look at people in gangs in Mexico or you name the country, they don't have long lifespans. And there's a reason for that. And if you choose to live in that kind of high-risk life, you're going to end that kind of high-risk life. But now we have to get to my favorite part, because once again, being a Texan, we have a last stand battle. Okay, but and really sad happens last... before the last stand battle. <laughs> oh. we got to talk about that. <laughs> all right. Well, then you talk about it, because obviously you've been wanting to talk about it. Oh, gosh. It's, the Serenity has brought the Reavers into the Alliance fleet, have a very rough entry into, into the atmosphere to get onto the complex of Mr. Universe. And the Reavers, there are a couple of them in hot pursuit. Wash is a leaf on the wind and is calming himself with this lovely mantra and is going struggling to get them down safe. Finally manages it. Very tense couple of minutes of flying. And then is stabbed through the heart by a Reaver harpoon, I guess is what it is. One of the media deaths I feel the hardest, I really watched as a character. He brought a great balance to the crew, his relationship with Zoe. There are not a lot of happy marriages in TV. And I love that they were one of them. And my heart breaks for Zoe having to go to a battle immediately after that happening. And so anyway, I never get past that without tearing up. So thank you, Wash, for being there. And a fun kind of outside fact, Alan Tudyk was not able to commit to a second sequel. So that is presumably why he was killed off. 
I also read that. <laughs> That's a pretty harsh penalty. You have to pay. Oh, you can't be give, here on time? Give them we'll immediate and send them to another planet to take care of it. Like, you'd have to. So we get to the planet, and they, so they have to get Mal back to the equipment room. He don't, they don't, still don't know the Mr. Universe is dead, but they're going to quickly find that out. But they have to send Mal back to deliver the video message. They have to make a last stand. And I saw some incredible dialogue and emotions there, and we have to start with Zoe. Because at some point, Kaylee says, where's Walsh? And her response is, he's not not coming. And she, you saw her completely go into military mode. She took orders from the captain. That's what she called him. And she ordered the rest of the troops, deployed them. And with no emotion, she said, he's not coming. And then a fight started, and it wasn't, it was all emotion. And I think she wanted to die in hand-to-hand combat with the Reavers. And Jane, of all people, said, that's not going to happen. You're, basically, you're not dying on my watch. And I think it was Kaylee, but maybe it was the doctor who said something along the lines of, where are we going or how are we going to get out? And so he said, we're not getting out. At that point, I thought everybody was going to get slaughtered, but Mal, that didn't turn out. So what did you think of that scene? I had really similar impressions of it. It's like when, I, I don't have any military experience, but it, it seems to me from reading, you train so that when you can't feel, you still have something to do. <laughs> and I don't know exactly how accurate that is to, to someone's lived experience, but she retreated into what she knew, which was training and not having, she couldn't process what had happened in a way that we considered mentally healthy probably felt pretty good to kill a bunch of things <laughs> i imagine that was very helpful and i liked what she said immediately when mal asked her are you here can you do this and she's to the job so that's yes. she had that to fall back on but it was a major part in helping everyone else live so I, I thought it was heartbreaking it was heartbreaking and we'll maybe talk about the kind of one of the final scenes at the very end but uh, yeah she pushed it all down and did the job we got to the end with the operative. So let's go to the final scene you want to talk about. Okay. The, uh, the memorials of Mr. Universe and Shepherd Book and of Wash, Hoban Washburn, that was his name. And uh, when Zoe walks up in the dress, that is when I lose it. Because <laughs> she never wore the dress for him in life. And just, I, in my head a little bit, I like to believe that she was maybe pregnant. But obviously, there's no evidence of that whatsoever. But I think that. She had wanted the baby and maybe they had, yeah, I just like think maybe that was, but you know, obviously there's nothing to back that up whatsoever. But anyway, that, we that, don't know. They went off to greater adventures. We don't know. We don't know. know. I don't know. Maybe. I hadn't even thought of that, but that would even been even more perfect. Although perhaps I would have thought sad because the father wasn't there, but. Um, you know who, who would have ended up being the best uncle of all time though? Mal. Jane. Oh, Absolutely. <laughs> Uncle Jane. Oh my gosh. He'd be giving horsey rides. He'd be <laughs> like, this is a grenade. This is the top. This is the bottom. Oh, perfect. He would have been the greatest uncle. He would have been the fun uncle. He'd have been the fun uncle. Yep. I was a fun uncle once. Yeah, I remember at one point in an That's earlier episode, they said, they said of River that uh, she's a witch, but she's our witch. And Jane's a mercenary asshole. But he's our mercenary asshole. <laughs> yep. Yep. 
So I'm going to end where I started with, which was having seen the series, this and knowing there's nothing thereafter, this really was the best way I could have thought to end our time with the crew of Serenity. Oh, it was so good. I was so happy Simon and Kaylee finally got it. I think one of my favorite little humorous moments was after when Simon was having this confession of my biggest regret is that we were never together. And she's just, we could have, we could have, okay, I'm going to live. Kaylee the horn dog forever. I love it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, there was one point in the movie when she basically said, I got a big itch to scratch, guys, and nobody's doing it. So let's get going. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I love that in her character. She's just completely unabashed about it. I think it's so nice. Yep. Yep. So this brings us to the end of the TV series Firefly, the movie Serenity. Mm. Megan and I will be off for new adventures on, because that's what heroes do. So I hope you'll join us for our next season and new adventures. I'm Tom Fox. I'm Megan Doherty. Thanks, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I hope you have enjoyed this review of the movie Serenity. I hope you enjoyed the entire series that Megan and I did on the TV show Firefly. It turned out it was a ton of fun. We really enjoyed it, and I hope you enjoyed it, too. If you haven't listened to the first 14 episodes, I hope you will go back and explore them. I also hope that you will subscribe, rate, and review to this podcast, wherever great podcasts are listened to. Megan and I are going to take a couple of weeks off, and then we will be back with the Star Wars series, Ahsoka. Because That's What Heroes Do is an award-winning production of the Compliance Podcast Network.